Well, my name is Matt. If you missed the welcome, and so glad to have you here. So glad we got to sing that song. Um, we're wrapping up our series, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And this has been an incredible series. We've gotten a lot of conversation about it, a lot of discussion. Um, and this whole thing about making better decisions, we all want to do. And we've been talking about the correlation between good questions and better decisions. Good questions bring on better decisions, but you got to know the right questions to ask. In this series, we've been talking about five questions, and we said if we would make better decisions after, as we ask these questions and we answer them honestly, because that's so important to be honest, and then act on it. And you know this: you got to act to get something done. We would end up in a better life than maybe where we started. Now that doesn't mean easier. It doesn't even mean you have more stuff, but it would be better because wisdom leads to better things. Good decisions and less regrets are what we all want, not to mention there's people that depend upon you. They depend upon me for us to make good decisions on their account. So we've asked these five questions. Um, The first question we asked was the integrity question, and that was around the idea is, am I being honest with myself and it's really honest with myself? I mean, am I really answering the question, you know, why am I talking to her? Why am I buying that? Why am I not telling the truth? Whatever it is, because you know this, the easiest person to fool is the person in the mirror. So am I being honest with myself? And we owe it to ourselves to be honest with ourselves, even though it's difficult sometimes. Then the second question was the legacy question. And that is, what story do I want to tell? Because you know this, the decision you're making in this moment, write the story of your life. And in every relationship, financial decision, you should ask and I should ask, as I move forward with whatever I'm doing and deciding what story do I want to tell? Do I want to be the hero or the villain? The good example or the bad? So that's a pretty, was a pretty powerful thought. And then question number three was the conscience question. And that is, is there a tension that deserves my attention? And you know that thing when everything's lining up and all the dominoes are falling in the right way and people are going, this is a good thing. But there's that thing in your gut that says, hey, I'm not sure, so sure this is a wise thing to do. That's when that you feel that tension. You should step back, pause, and make sure it's a good decision. And then last week we talked about the um, maturity question. And the maturity question was the one that was super challenging. And, and that question is, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my past circumstances... And my current situation and my future, and this is the one that always challenges me so much. In, in light of my future hopes and dreams, for me, my family, my children, our church, whatever your context is, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what I want the most is this a wise thing to do. And not is it right or wrong, not is it moral or immoral, but is it wise to do. And those have been the, the questions we've asked so far. And if you missed any of those, I would love for you to go to back to lifehousepeople.com and you can watch all those messages. They've been super helpful for me at least, and I think they will be for you. But today we're going to talk about the fifth and last question as we wrap up the series, and that's the relationship question. Now you need to know this. All five of these questions that we're talking about are challenging and they're difficult, but I, I think this one is the toughest Because the relationship question that I'm going to give you in a few minutes is so clarifying that you already know the answer. That when you ask this question in almost any situation, it's like, oh, I know that, and now I'm accountable, so I have a tendency to want to look the other direction. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, and this is what you thought? Um, what, uh, What do you hope I don't ask you about? Because you know this, if I ask you about that thing, you got to deal with it and look it in the eyes and do something with it. It's a relationship question. 
And if I ask, I gotta deal with it. It's terrifying, but it's helpful in our lives and it requires the most. And we're tempted in these moments when we're challenged to resist, to look away. But you know this, because we've all experienced it and we've seen it in other people. What you and I refuse to know can hurt you. What I refuse not to look at, ignore, can hurt you. And it can hurt me. So the relationship question is where we're going today. Now, we said this a couple weeks ago that most of us, when we peer into our future, the one thing we don't want to be is alone. And that doesn't mean you have to be married, but you still just don't, you don't want to be alone. And the relationship question can help prevent that. Because it helps you and I, if you're single, be the person you're looking for is looking for. It can help you develop into who you need to be. It can also ask or help you ask things that will prevent you from hurting people in your life if you act on it in every relationship situation. And here's the thing about the relationship question. It has the power, if you and I act on it, to heal broken relationships. And maybe you're here today and you have some broken relationships. It has the power to rekindle romance in your relationship, if you're a married person or you're dating someone and you want to be in a healthy way. But here's a, here's a disclaimer over this fifth question today. There's not necessarily an ROI on this question, a return on investment. That's not guaranteed. And here's what's so interesting. In the first four questions I just read you, there's almost a guaranteed return on investment. It will make your life better if you're honest with yourself, if you decide to tell a better story, if you pay attention to the tension and ask what's the wise thing for you and I to do. There's a return on investment. Our lives just get better because wisdom helps make our lives better. But this one, no guarantee that's going to make your life better. But here's where the guarantee comes in. It has the potential to make someone else's life better. And this is where Jesus comes into Because see, when Jesus came onto the planet, he alluded to, hinted about, in everything he said, taught, parables, miracles, sermons, this new thing was coming to earth through him. That this new thing, that God would do something different with us. And he hinted at it until he went into Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion. And he just ramped it up to try and help people understand, I'm changing the game. And what he tells us in just a few minutes, I think Jesus would say, if you miss this, you miss it all. This is the thing. And what we're talking about today is where maybe if you're a church person like me, because I'm a church person, been a long time, you may have a tendency to go, okay, that's fine, but I want to go deeper. Have you ever heard someone say that about their faith? As a pastor, I've heard that so many times. I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper, especially when we're talking about what we're talking about today. That's all good, but I want to go deeper. And I think the Apostle Paul, who clarified so much about Jesus for us, would say, you want to go deeper, and you don't think what we're about to talk about is deep, because you've never seen someone flogged, beaten so badly that the fog earth stops whipping them, not to show mercy, but because he's a professional torturer and he knows he has to stop before they die so he can torture them again tomorrow because that's what happened to Jesus. We would say this is not deep because we've never watched someone hang on the cross and smelled it and heard it and shied away with the pure agony of it. We, we don't need to have a context for that in our lives this is the most profound thing that's ever been said when I'm about to read you when it comes to changing 
our lives. And what we're going to look at is the instructions for our lives. That's how the upside down kingdom of God came where Jesus would do something that no one else could do. It's what, what changed Rome, the most powerful nation, maybe of all time. The empire of Rome got turned upside down. It's why people decided to look at Jesus and call him their Lord and then respond to his command as you're my Lord. I'm glad you're my friend too, Jesus, because you said that, but you're my Lord and I'm going to do whatever you say when it comes to this. This command that Jesus tells us, it should guard our heart. It should guard our conscience. It should guard our words, how we respond, what comes out of my mouth. This is the potential to tame our tongue. And you know you want that for somebody else in your life. Maybe they want that for you today. So deep, this is as deep as it gets. There's nothing more profound than what we're about to talk about. And it came from the fact that Jesus went to the cross so you and I would have a right standing with God. He sacrificed his life so you and I can be forgiven. And make no doubt about it, if you question whether you can be forgiven, Jesus would say, absolutely you can. But what he said the night before was a clarification of why he did what he did. And it represents our faith and the kingdom of God. So John writes this down. John, who was there that night, John, one of Jesus' closest friends, he quotes Jesus as he's sitting the night before he went to the cross, and Jesus said, a new command I give you. Now, this isn't super helpful yet because they had so many commands, they don't need another command. I mean, there's 600 commands plus the big 10 commandments. They probably thought as followers, we don't need another command We need a plan because Jesus, you're popular and we probably can make some money off your popularity. We can kind of be kings ourselves. So let's have a plan for how we're going to do this. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to give you a plan. I'm going to give you a command. And it's not going to be like the 11th commandment. This is, if you're Lord of the Rings fan, this is a command that will rule all the other commands. This is the command that you read everything else through. And it's going to help you determine how to handle conflict. Anybody got conflict in your life right now? The right way. It's going to help you figure out, how do I forgive? Yeah, how am I going to forgive my dad who wasn't there when I was a kid? I'm still angry. How how do I forgive that so I can be free? How How do I loan my strength to someone that doesn't have the strength that I have or my influence? How do I walk at the pace of someone that's slower than me because I care about them? This command that Jesus talks about has a potential Pry open your wallet, which is the hardest thing for some people to do because you're just not a generous person. But this command would cause you to do that. It's a value system. And most of you have heard it. And I'm going to tell you, before I read it to you, I just know the temptation. I know the temptation is, oh, I've heard that. Oh, I've heard that. Maybe when I was in Sunday school or last year, last month, I've heard that. I've heard it. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But what I'm about to read you, if we heard it for the first time through the context of what Jesus was talking about, it would shock us and rock our world, and we'd have trouble standing up when we thought it through properly. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, just so you know, this is not new command. In the Old Testament, this was repeated over and over again, but Jesus is not done. But if you just start with this, love one another. This is not a feel thing when I feel like I'm in love. No, love one another. That is the baseline of this command. But the next thing is what changed the world. And maybe it could change your world. Love one another as I loved you. So you must love one another. This is incredibly 
disturbing. Because in this moment, Jesus declares himself the standard for love. Like believing is really good, and you should believe. And you should say, I'm putting my faith in God. That's a great thing, and you should do that. But if you want to know what makes God smile, love as Jesus loved. It's the most important thing to Jesus, apparently. Love as I have loved. And when his disciples heard this, they weren't thinking of the cross like you and I might be thinking about. They were thinking about the last three years. When he said that, all they had to do is go back to the last few years. And I wonder if he looked across the table at Matthew, the tax collector. We talked about this a lot. Tax collectors who were hated above all people as the worst of the sinners, because they stole from their own people as they collected taxes and just took it for themselves. Matthew, Jesus might say, do you remember when you were sitting at that table by yourself with a Roman soldier because your own people would have killed you if he wasn't there? Do you remember sitting there in your sin and your misery and you had money, but you were miserable? Yeah, Jesus, I remember. Do you remember when I walked up to you and I said, hey, Matthew, You want to be part of my kingdom? And when no one wanted you at their table or at their house, I went to your house, Matthew, and I made you one of my guys because I loved you with my whole heart. Yeah, I remember tears rolling down his face. I want you to love like that, Matthew. And Peter, do you remember you were doing your dad's fishing business? You were squeaking by. It was tough. It was difficult. The Romans were always on your back, and you were out in that boat that day. And I said, Matthew, come follow me. Or Peter, come follow me. You remember what you did, Peter? Yeah, I jumped out of the boat. I swam towards you and I became a fisher of men. Yeah, you're right, Peter. You remember that? That's because I loved you. Now, love like that the last three years. Now, just in that context, I want you to think about this. How about you? What were you up to when you accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. And I realize there's many people in this room that haven't accepted that yet, which is just a privilege to have you with us and online. But for those of you that believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus, what were you up to when you made the decision to accept the invitation to follow Jesus? I'll tell you what I was up to. I was up to some no good in college, just so you know. And I was good at doing no good. I had some dark stuff going on in my life. And I had some shame and some guilt I was carrying in my life. And I had shame and guilt I didn't even know about. I had done things I didn't realize I did. I just was a mess. And I stumbled into a relationship with Jesus and it changed my life. What were you up to? Think about it. What were you up to? Things you're ashamed of? Broken marriages? Broken careers? taking what's not, whatever it is, what were you up to? And then you found Jesus. And in that moment when you found Jesus with all your mess... He loved you. He he didn't ask questions. He knew you were a disaster. He just decided to love you. And he listened to your prayers and he forgave you. He didn't forgive you for some of it and you had to work the other part off. Just so you know, that's not how the gospel works. He forgave you all of it. You were a new creation in Jesus. I was a new creation in Jesus. I have no excuses I have no excuses not to love like Jesus because my Savior commanded this to me after he loved me that way. Now, here's the deal. He says this to his guys. You know, this is the way I've loved you the last three years. You're not, you haven't seen anything compared to what you're going to see in the next 24 hours because I've come here to take away all of your sin and all your excuses because a new command I give you. 
Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In the next 24 hours, Jesus would be covered in his own blood from head to toe, hanging and dying on a cross in a display of love. No one had ever seen, no one ever imagined, no one even knew could exist in the world like it was 2,000 years ago. And they would watch Jesus do something that would take their breath away and their sin. And he did it for them, he did it for you, and he did it for his own enemies. And this is the part we brought gloss over. He died for the people that hung him on that cross. He died for the religious leaders who conjured up the scheme to get him crucified and carry the sin of the world. And he says, now I want you to love like that. And if you ever get this right, If you ever even get part of this right, it could change the world. It could change your life. It could change you. It could change everything. And then he says something that makes me shake just a little bit when I really think in the context of it. He says, by this, by loving the way I loved you when I died on the cross, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I love this little word, this, in the original Greek language, because it's a demonstrative pronoun. If you remember from high school English, a demonstrative pronoun points to something specifically. And when he says, by this kind of love, not cheap church Christian weird love, but by the love where man gives his life up for people that don't deserve it, in the way God gave his life up for people that don't deserve it. They will know you're my disciples if you love one another. They'll see you coming with that kind of love that takes courage and honor and bravery and discipline. There's nothing weak about it. That's how they'll know you're my followers. And the movement of the early church was defined by that kind of love that was in such contrast to the Roman world and the Jewish world. And it was contrast then and it is contrast now. Because we're not cutting each other's heads off with swords like they did back then. But I mean, you know, we're a selfish people. We look out for our own interests. And Jesus said, now it's time to change the game. And the litmus test for are you close to God? The litmus test for do you know Jesus? Was not how much scripture you could quote. Or how many worship songs you can sing. Or how often you show up to church. But you should do all those things. It's are you willing to love like Jesus. See, in the first century, Jesus followers, they would demonstrate the devotion to God by putting the person next to them in front of them as they watched Jesus do the next day after he said this. And that kind of sacrifice would authenticate the New Testament church's faith. You see, this does not you know, get you forgiven. This does not get you into heaven. Jesus dying on the cross and putting our faith in him gets our hearts forgiven from our Lord and Savior. But this kind of love is what authenticates our faith. And I'll just be honest with you. Our church, you guys do really good at loving people. And I hear this all the time. Man, I'm thinking about coming to Life House to check it out. But if I come, no one's going to accept me. No one's going to want me there. I've messed up too many times. And then they come and you all just love them, love them, love and love them. And I hope you're doing that every day in your life. But as a whole, the church has not always done really good at doing that and loving people. You see, Jesus, he did not leverage his power and his authority and his strength to motivate his followers. 
He didn't power up and say, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you just go do what I say. No, this is what the king of kings and the Lord of lords did. He crawled up on a cross and he died a miserable death for you and for me. And then he rose three days later to prove he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Lord of lords. And his people were inspired by that sacrifice. And they went on to give their lives for it because, because he loved them first. And Jesus would say, follow my lead. And just so you know, this is the why, or it should be the why behind everything we do. A display of love the world had never seen for strangers, for sinners, for his enemy. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about who you kind of hate right now. And listen, I'll be, you know, self-righteous. We all kind of don't like some people in our world. And I thought, what would be a good illustration that would make everybody in our church uh, uh, mad if I told it? So I came up with an illustration. You want to hear it? You want to hear my illustration? Yeah, a little feedback, right? Let's just take a, a, a random issue like guns in America. How do you want to talk about that up here for a second? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Um, so let's just think about the two groups, um, extreme groups in this. There's the group that thinks in our world, no one should have a gun ever, 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 right? That's a group. And the other group is everybody should have a gun all the time and do whatever they want, right? So there's these two groups, right? Now, just so you know, I have a very defined opinion when it comes to this issue. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> I'm not telling you what that is. I don't want to get crucified up here today. Eh, you know, but let's just think about this. So you, and maybe you're in one of these groups from somewhere in the middle, but let's take these groups. No guns, all guns. And Jesus would say, hey, all you no guns people. I want you to love the all guns people with your whole heart. And all guns people, I want you to love the no guns people with all of your heart. And this is what our response is. Okay, I, I love them, but they're stupid. I love them and they're idiots. I love them and I wish they'd go away, but I love them as they, you know, get thrown in prison or burned alive, whatever it is, you know, we say that. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I want you to love them like I loved you when you were essentially my enemy and I died on the cross for you. Now, I didn't think about this first service, but I, I wonder how many people that are watching online or in the room right now that are justifying your arguments in your head of why your argument is right. Even though I still kind of love them, they're still all just stupid, but you're just... And aren't we glad when we were far from God that Jesus didn't do that with us? So you can have an opinion. I'm, you have an opinion. You have a belief. I'm, that's fine. But love trumps everything in light of what Jesus did. And he said, a new command... I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And here's the thing, my friends. This is less complicated than 600 commands. But it's more demanding. This is so simple, I can't ignore it. I can't look away. I can't just go, ah, no big deal. No, if I'm gonna love like Jesus, it's gotta count for everything. Because when you come to this place in your following of Jesus, there's no loopholes. This is why we try and avoid this. This is why we don't wanna look that way. 
And again, just so you know, this was not just like added to the list. This is not number 11 on the list of commands. This is the command that would rule them all, which leads us to our fifth question, the relationship question. And the relationship question, something we've talked about before. Anytime you're making a decision, when it comes to any relationship in any way, you should ask this question, what does love require of me? This is terrifying. But this should guard our hearts. This should inform how we treat people. You're you're single and you're in a dating relationship and you're going on a date this week with somebody. You're in a relationship. You're not married to the person. Men, I'll talk to you, but ladies, you apply this however you want. When you take her out, men, single guys, you should view her as not your wife and not your property ever. What does love require of me? There's a really good chance she's not going to be in your wife so in light of she's going to be somebody else's wife, what does love require how I treat her and what I expect to get from her? What does love require me? Ladies, you should think the exact same way. What does love require me? That this is someone's daughter or this is someone's son, including God's. What does love require of me and the way I handle my sexuality? You're married and you're just so frustrated at your spouse. I mean, she's not doing what you want. He's not acting the right way. Yeah, but could you step back and go, hey, what does love require of me? I know, I know she's not giving me what I want or telling me what I want or whatever it is, but okay, that's fine. That's on her end. But what does love require of me? Because I know that when I disregarded God completely, he loved me and laid his life down for me. And I'm a Christian, if you are. What does love require of me? You're a parent? What does love require of me for my kids? As I protect them and guide them and try and get to the place saying, what does love require of me? You're a boss. You have authority. You have strength. When you walk into work tomorrow, bosses, I'm a boss. What does love require of you? You lead, you coach. What does it require of me? You got a neighbor that drives you crazy. What does love require of me? Your friends, your enemies, and everybody in between. Again, your dad, your mom that failed you. What does love require of me? And here's what's so interesting about this question. It fills in the gaps of scripture because scripture addresses so many things, but it doesn't address everything. And any time we're not sure what to do, this is a great question. What does the love require of me? And wouldn't it be great if this would take away this thing that Christians have said for so long? Maybe you grew up with this statement around your household, around your church. But the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with fill in the blank. But the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with fill in the blank. It's a terrible statement. What does love require of me in light of Jesus' ethic of love. What this stops that we are desperate for in the church is hypocrisy. I'm not going to be a hypocrite because I'm going to be consistent with what does love require me. It stops the loopholes. Yeah, I'll figure out a way to get around this thing. I'll manipulate. I'll do just enough to feel good. Now, what does love require of me? It's so simple, but it's so demanding in every relationship scenario. The question is, what does love require of me. Not what can I get away with. Not what's the minimum I have to do to be a good Christian. I mean, if I ever hear the phrase good Christian again and never hear it again, I'll be a happy man. That's a terrible phrase. But what does love require of me? And here's, again, this thought. It is what you and I are hoping they're thinking and they're asking. This is the question I hope my wife is asking today. My employees, you guys, my kids. What does love require me for my dad, for my husband, for Matt? I want that to be asked by other people. 
That's exactly why I need to ask it of myself. Now, to give you just a little cheeky, um, cheeky phrase, just to maybe to help you remind you remind you of this, it's when you're unsure of what to say or do, ask what does love require of you? Because there's going to be times that you're just not sure what to do. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Okay, let me step back. What does love require in this situation? What would be the best for everyone else? And hopefully me too, but for everyone else. And usually those are tied to do as Jesus did for you and I. What's the best? Now here's the challenge, and you just need to hear this. You and I are going to fall short of this. We're not going to live up to this all the time. It's impossible to do this perfect all the time. And when you fall short with anybody, your wife, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, whatever, whenever you fall short, here's what you do. You own it. Hey, I wasn't thinking about what was best for you. I'm sorry. Forgive dad. Forgive your husband. Forgive me. I I blew that one. I'm going to try and do better. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and live like Jesus every time. Now, here's what's so cool is Jesus laid this out. You know, love as I've loved you in light of the cross, covered in blood, gave up everything for you. And then the apostle Paul, he takes this very identical thought through the lens of the cross. And in Galatians, which is a little letter to some Christians in a place called Galatia, that's all it is. He gave like the gold, the gold example of what would this look like as he teased it out a little bit better. He said, this is what love looks like. It looks like kindness. This is in Galatians. It looks like goodness. It looks like gentleness. It looks like faithfulness and self-control. In other words, anytime you lose self-control, you've not asked the question, what does love require of me? So when you lose self-control, step back. Okay, God, I got to get a handle on this. What does love require of me? I'm losing control in parts of my life for whatever reason. And you all know what they are. What does love require me for self-control? What does love require for me when it comes to kindness? And you need to know this. My natural nature, your pastor, if this is your church, my natural nature is not to be kind. It's to be strong and forceful and get my way. And love requires me to back it down, to be kind, to be gentle, to have some goodness in my life, faithfulness. When you struggle with faithfulness, to someone else, you know, what does love require of me? Okay, I need to figure out how to be faithful along the way. And if I'm ever con- tempted to control someone, like my spouse or a girlfriend of mine, what does love require of me when th- with these things? I'm not here to control you. And, and see, Paul put this list together, but it was a bridged list. He put another list together that most of us are familiar with. In fact, we've, again, heard it so many times, we can be a little numb to it. In fact, what I'm about to talk to you about, you may have had read in your wedding, because this is like the wedding scripture. But Paul goes on in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and said, hey, love, love is kind. Love is patient. Love does not boast. Love, it, it, it does not dishonor other people. Love never disgraces someone, dishonors someone, or treats them indecently. Love never disgraces someone, dishonors someone, or treats them indecently. Let me say it one more time. Love never, ever, 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 ever disgraces someone, dishonors someone, or treats them indecently. Ever. Because that's not what Jesus did to you when he could have done it, and he would have been right And he would have been right to do it to me. Paul says, love doesn't get angry. Love doesn't cause regret. Love doesn't keep score. Love believes the best about another person. Love 
It keeps no record of wrongs. <sighs> Keeping any record of wrongs? I know, it's hard, isn't it? This is the highest calling of our life, but it's the most beautiful calling at the same time. Love rejoices in truth. It protects. It doesn't smuggle harmful things into a relationship. It doesn't seek to harm. It doesn't seek out arguments. Love, love this thought. Love works to protect the relationship. You're married. Smuggling pornography into your relationship. Stop it. Protect it. Protect your time. Protect who you're with. Protect how you treat your spouse. Protect it. In gentleness and love, you protect your kids and what they see and what they watch and how they're interacting with people that may not lead them. Protect in gentleness and kindness. Find someone that's maybe a little weaker than you. Find people you don't even like. Protect them. Love chooses hope. It protects. That's what love requires out of us. And again, I want this from everybody else in my life. I, I do. I, I hope I go home today and Tina snuggles up to me and says, I love you so much. I just want to be close to you. I'm like, oh, just be close to me and protect me and love me, honey. I love it so much. You want that, right? But that's what she deserves from me because she is a child of God. And this is what's required of us. Now, let me talk about that for a second because this is, this is heavy. If you're not a Christian in this place, we're so glad you're here. We're honored you're here. This is not required of you, but you're invited to it because it's a better life. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what's called. This is what's required. This is what he, what he wants from us above all things. This is what makes your heavenly father smile when you love the people that he laid his life down for. That before I react... I'm going to love. Before I try and fix somebody or tell them my logical ways or here's why I'm right and you're wrong or da, da, you know, all those things that we do, especially me. I'm a professional advice giver. That's what I do as a job. Before I do any of that, what does love require me? And that means sometimes I got to set my stuff down and just go, okay, what can I do to love you and care for you and protect you? Question, fifth question. What does love require of me? And if you accept this invite, I think your life will get better and your relationships will get better. But maybe more importantly, other people's lives will get better. Even if they don't deserve it because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Which means if you're really serious about following Jesus, maybe for some of you, the very first thing you need to do when I'm done with the message, don't do it right now. If you listen to the, rest, the end of this message, I worked hard on it, but the very first thing you may need to do is get up. If you're online, walk into the living room and apologize for something and change your behavior. If you're in here, you get in the car, look over the side of the car with sincere eyes and go, listen, I should not have been doing or done what I did and I'm gonna work on changing it in light of what does love require of me. It's calling someone up. Hey, I know we haven't talked in two years. I just need you to know I'm sorry. They don't care what you did. I just need to know from my, what I did, I'm sorry, I should not do it. I'm not gonna give you logic. I'm not gonna give you justification. I'm just following the path of Jesus because it's what Jesus did for me. My friends, this question, what does love require of me? This is, the way, this is what following Jesus looks like. It's your kingdom come. It's your will be done. 
It's the whole thing. It's what changed the world. It's the reason. I mean, I believe this with my heart. It's the reason there's any semblance of mercy and grace in our world. And we just don't all kill each other all the time because this was introduced into our world. It's what changed our lives. And we have the opportunity to carry it forward and maybe redeem this as a church and followers of Jesus to love well, to be kind, to be gentle, to protect with our whole hearts. What does love require of you? I hope you ask that question a lot in the next year. But it brings us to the end of our series. And these questions, these five questions that we've gone through, I hope you hang on to them. I hope you hang on to, hey, I'm making decisions, but am I being honest with myself? Really? What story do I want to tell when I'm old and what I'm doing now is just a story? What story do I want to tell? And listen, this is such a big deal, and I didn't talk about this enough today. What story do I want to tell? If you're sitting in this place and you've been listening to me or Andy talk, you're like, well, I've, I've got a bad story, or I've got a bad bump in my story. Your story's not over. Do you know that? Your story is still being written. Write a good story from here on out. Just write a good story. Follow Jesus and write a good story. Is there a tension that deserves my attention right now in my life? What is the wise thing for me to do in light of my future hopes and dreams, my current circumstances? What's the wise thing? Not the right thing, not the legal. What's the wise thing? And ultimately, what does love require of me? These questions will determine the direction of your life and the quality of your life and the goodness of your life. But here's where I want to end today because these are challenging and these are hard and you just can't conjure this up. What's driven this from the very beginning of Jesus and his followers was the fact they fell in love with Jesus. They fell in love and they realized what he did for them and it filled up their hearts and it took away their sins and they made them children of God. Like, hey, Peter, now you're my child. Matthew, dirty tax collector, now you're a child of God. And it filled them up on the inside so much it just it poured out of them. And we're not here to, hey, say, just be a better Christian or just check these boxes. We're here to fall in love with our God who fell in love with us. And out of that, these things flow. So what I want to do in the next few minutes and hopefully the next few years in your life and mine is I just want to be determined to fall in love with God who's in love with us and gave his life for us. And we're going to sing this song that talks about running to the Father and his grace. And I would love for our prayer to be, God, I just want to love you so much that it just spills out to everyone around you. And the Jesus ethic, while challenging and hard, would not be impossible because what is inside of me, and that's your love and your power and your spirit, because that's where it all starts and ends with anyway. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing this song, and I hope you can lean in to this God that's incredibly over the heels in love with you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we're challenged by this. Thank you that you want this for us. We certainly want it from other people. Help us step in the space of what does love require of me. Help us to ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? Help us think about our future and our past and our present as we make these decisions. And help us to have fewer regrets. But ultimately, Jesus, help us to fall head over heels in love with you today and for the rest of our lives. And thank you for calling us your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.